The following podcast is a Dear Media production. One of my favorite subjects to talk about, and that is Woo More Play. Boy, oh boy, do they have the Valentine's situation for you. You guys, they have three Valentine's Day bundles. One has already sold out, unfortunately, because they are so popular. You can get this beautiful wrapped packaging with wrapping paper that says, eat my box. And in it, you're going to get the lube, the freshies, the quickies. One has the vibrator in it. you got to go check it out on the site. I'm telling you, if you are looking to gift your significant other, your hookup, your first time hookup, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever, a gift, this is it. All of the V-Day bundles are heavily discounted off of the normal retail prices. So that's worth mentioning. This is something where if you you have never tried Woo before, or maybe you have and you want to get the vibrator, the wipes, the lube, and bundle it up all in one package at a discounted price, these are great ways to start and great gifts to give on Valentine's Day, specifically only for Valentine's Day. So here's the deal. If you want the Eat My Box bundles, all you have to do is use the code VDAYSEX for 25% off everything. I'm telling you, the lube, the freshies, it's your whole sex kit right in front of you. Who doesn't want that? This is going to give you your best Valentine's Day ever. That's woomoreplay.com. Use promo code VDAYSEX for 25% off everything. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha. I could get out of my police car and somebody could drop a cinder block on my head. They throw couches down, cinder blocks, bricks. So you always had to be prepared. And when you walked into any building, you don't know who's waiting for you, whether it's a trap. Frequently was. Sometimes it's just kids. Other times you're walking in on a drug dealing situation and it's like, oh my God, what do I do now? Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Skinny Confidential Him and Her podcast. Today, we have something different. What's new, though? I feel like this show is like a bag of checks mix. You never know what you're going to get. I never know what we're going to get anymore. I mean, this show goes all over the place. Today, we have Thomas Fitzsimmons. He is a real-life celebrity bodyguard, a top author, and he used to be a model, actor, and policeman. He has a very colorful background. Not only was he a policeman, too. He was a policeman in the Bronx which he has some wild stories. To give you guys a little bit of context, Tom was also my mom's fiance. Before she passed, they were engaged. So I have a very soft spot for him in my heart. He's a very sweet man. He's always showing us around New York City every single time we come out. And he's like a stepfather to me. So I'm very excited about this episode. It goes sort of all over the place. Yeah, we just talk about, you know, Tom's life as a police officer, as an author, as a celebrity bodyguard, getting to New York. We we talk about some stories with Donald Trump, which kind of were curveball, um, you know, in his dealings back in the day in, in New York and before he became president. So this conversation is really just that. It's a conversation with somebody who Lauren and I hold uh, near and dear to our hearts and who's just an all around great guy. Yeah, back in the studio 54 days, he knew Donald Trump. So we get into the juice on that. Before we get into it, Tom also has some books on Amazon that you guys have to check out. My favorite is Confessions of a Celebrity Bodyguard. He also has Confessions of a Catholic Cop and Confessions of a Suicidal Policewoman. You can find that all on Amazon. So with that, let's welcome Thomas Fitzsimmons, a former New York City police officer, a real-life celebrity bodyguard, and former Ford model, and of course, author to The Skinny Confidential, Him and Her Show. This is The Skinny Confidential, Him and Her. I am so excited to have 
my mom's fiance. I would say my stepdad in the studio. You guys, it's so exciting. He was a cop in the Bronx. He's an author. He's a celebrity bodyguard. And he just wrote the juiciest book involving Donald Trump, which we're going to get into. Tom, welcome Uh-oh. to the studio. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm a legend in my own mind. You know, yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> we're so excited to have you. Can you give Great. us a little background about where you grew up? I know you're a twin. Yeah. Give us the grew whole- Grew up in the Bronx. Okay. In an Irish section called uh, Woodlawn. Still there. Still a great section. Went in the military, the Navy, then became a cop when I was 21. Wound up in the South Bronx, a place called Fort Apache, the Bronx. It sucked. (laughs) Terrible place to work. High crime. Highest crime in the United States, as a matter of fact. 2.2 square miles of... It was an anthill. It was uh, Calcutta. I got out after 10 years and then went into show business. I was with the Ford Model Agency for 10 years. Had a lot of fun with that. And then went into television commercials and did about 150 spots in, I guess, about five or six years. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Oh, in, in between that, too, I was with NBC for a while. I, I was with their news division. They put together a show called Now, back then. The show only ran one season. It sucked, so it only ran one season. <laughs> I had a great, great co-host, but we just didn't catch on. It was something, well, it was magazine format. I don't think they do them anymore. But I've always been in law enforcement in some way. Even when I left the uh, police department, you know, living in New York City, you meet celebrities all the time. And, uh, you know, you just sit next to them at bars and you get, you make friends. People are always asking me to help out. My daughter is dating a bad guy. Some guy wants to put the money into a business. I need to know if he's legitimate. Follow this one, follow that one. Got very close to Larry Hagman that, that, that way I used to, you know, the actor, Larry Hagman used to do Dallas. And so I helped him out on a lot of uh, little, little things. As favors. I wasn't getting paid for it, really. But, but that led to the celebrity bodyguard business. So what a, what a trajectory. You know, when I think about it, I go, eh, how did I get involved in all this stuff? But it's been a ride and a hell of a lot of fun. Hell of a lot of fun. So at 21 years old, going into becoming a cop in Fort Apache, what year was that? Seven, uh, 1969. And what was Fort Apache like? like what, I mean, you're 21 years old. It must have been a scary place. It was terrible. It was very, very scary. scary. It was, uh, the highest crime area in the United States. They used to compare it to Calcutta. Just, it, was, it was horrible. A lot of cops in the United States never draw their gun once in 20 years. I drew my gun every day. What are, every some, day. What are some circumstances that you would have to draw your gun? Like, what was the day-to-day in the life well, in the Bronx? In, in, a, in a place like the South Bronx, every, every job you went to, you, you had your gun out. You just, when you went into a tenement, let's say for a, a landlord-tenant dispute or a husband-and-wife dispute or any, anything, you took your gun out and you just held it down because the odds of getting in a gunfight were, you know, it was possible. There, there, it was very possible. You know, you make a car stop, you're going to pull your gun out because the guy in the, in the car could very, very well have a gun. It was a very, very poor section. It was um, also the poorest place in the United States, or one of, high crime. So with everything going on this year, I mean, obviously there's been a lot going on with police and, and you know, there's, <laughs> there's cries for defunding the police and like you, a former cop, like what's, what goes through your mind when you see all of this? Because obviously you dedicate a lot of your life to protecting and serving. I mean, when you see this, like, how does that make you feel? And, and like, what do you, what do you think about all the current circumstances? It's a cycle. It's, this is why the South Bronx was, well, why it existed, because we had the same types of politicians back then. They used to glorify, glorify the rights of the criminal, and they handcuffed the cops. So places like the South Bronx flourished, crime flourished. And only when a politician's children become the victims will we have law and order you know, in New York City again. They'll, they'll, they'll bring back a Giuliani. 
But it's uh, again, it's a cycle. We because we had a lot of good years under uh, guys like Bloomberg and Giuliani and Koch, and they were law and order uh, mayors. So, what do you think is going to ha- happen right now in New York? Oh, I, I think it's in terrible trouble. Like, what are what are your your former buddies saying? Like, in the, on, or the ones that are still on the force or not on the force? Like, what is their attitude now? They're they're not anxious. They're not enthusiastic about the job anymore because they know anything they do is going to be scrutinized. And uh, you know, in the event that 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 something horrific happens, they're going to come down on the cops. Everybody's look looking to hurt the cops. Ridiculous. That's what uh, I think about the most. Is like when you think about the next pool of people that are thinking about becoming a police officer. Like it's. I imagine enthusiasm for going into that line of work has declined significantly this year, which yeah. is probably keeping a lot of good candidates out of the force. Yeah. You can't do it for the money because there's this, it's there's a no vocation. Money. Being a police officer is really a vocation, as, as is the fire department. You have to really want it. You're not going to get rich doing it. But at least the fireman, everyone loves a fireman because you're just running into buildings and saving people's lives. Cops are the disciplinarians. They're forced to enforce laws that, laws that they, they don't want to enforce. They're less popular. You wrote a book called Confessions of a Catholic Cop. Mm-hmm. Very good book. Highly recommend. Can you pinpoint one of your scariest moments that you maybe wrote about in the book? Mm. A book I wrote 10 years ago. <laughs> it could be any moment. It doesn't have to be in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens if you, you, you get accustomed to being on edge when you're a cop and you work in the ghetto? I mean, the first couple of months, you're really nervous. But I remember the first time I pulled a gun on a guy. I was shaking. You know, I was shaking. I, you know, I, I was afraid I had the wrong guy and I was afraid he would do something and, and then I'd have to shoot him. And I didn't know if I could shoot him. I really didn't know if he pulled a gun on me. I don't know what I would have done because it was the first time I'd ever done that in my life. Of course, when you work in a place like the South Bronx, you pull your gun every day, you get used to it. For people that are listening and they hear you say you pull your gun every day, like why, like why is that, like say you're making a routine stop, like you just automatically pull it out or is there something that's, that's triggering that event? You pull the gun out. In the South Bronx, you pull your gun out. You just keep, keep it at your side. Because back in the 70s, there was a war on cops, just like now. We had the Black Liberation Army and they were murdering cops on the streets. They were shooting them in the back. And I could get out of my police car and somebody could drop a cinder block on my head. It was, uh, the, the ghetto was like that. They throw couches down, cinder blocks, bricks. So you always had to be prepared. And when you walked into any building, and they're all tenements, they're all really run down tenements. You don't know who's waiting for you, whether it's a trap. Frequently was. Sometimes it's just kids dumping, trying to dump urine on you or something. But other, other times you're walking in on a drug dealing situation and it's like, oh my God, what do I do now? We're watching this show, which is so good if you haven't watched it, called 60 Days In. No, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, so it's about prisons and they, jails, not, jails, not prisons. Not yeah, yeah, jails. Jails, jails, jails. They, jails, they yeah. send moles mm. into the prisons like as everyday prisoners. people. Everyday people, and there could be a girl that looks like me, and a girl that looks like, or a guy that looks like <clears> Michael. <throat> but then there could also be a marine, and then there could maybe be an ex drug addict that used to be in jail, but now he's reformed into a preacher. Mm-hmm. So they send all these different people in, and they don't tell the only person that knows is the warden of the or the, the head of the prison, the sheriff, and the person. So none of the inmates know, and none of the jail staff knows. And they go in, and they actually live like actual inmates for 60 days and, it's, yeah. and and then they have to go through and see like some people opt out some people stay the whole time and it's like this whole experience of like and, and the reason they do it is the what they say on the show is the the jails are trying to figure out better ways to run their jail so they want to unbiased thought process from what it's like to be an inmate watch observing other inmates as well as observing the the jail staff yeah so anyways so as we're watching this michael and i keep commenting on 
the prisons or the jail system. It's it's fucked up. Terrible. What, what are your thoughts on that? When you're bringing someone to jail, do you what, what do you feel? Do you think the prison systems or the, I should say jail systems fucked up? That's what we're watching. It seems like there's no uh, chance for rehabilitation. A lot of people really belong in jail. They're just bad. They're evil and nothing's going to change them. There's the occasional guy, like a lot of these, these, these people in jail for drugs. I just, I think it's ridiculous. I think they're victims. Real drug addicts are like alcoholics. They can't stop themselves. They're never going to stop themselves. And in order to afford the habit, they're going to start getting into crime. So as long as it's not violent crime, I don't see the purpose of fill, filling the jails up with uh, uh, junkies. Like I said, they're like alcoholics. What if we started locking up all, all, all the alkies? I'd have no friends left. (laughs) (laughs) What the streets streets would be empty. Yeah, what they say on the show is like a lot of people that go into the jail system, you can get drugs cheaper in the jail, so they actually go and try to get arrested to go into the jail. Oh, Michael Douglas's son was in his his son Cameron, and Cameron had had a problem. wasn't a bad guy. Maybe he's a very nice guy. I know him. Know him. A terrific guy, and he got caught caught up in this drug stuff, and uh, eventually they 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 grabbed him, and I think they sentenced him to eleven years. Wow. He did five, and um, he was going to get out on good behavior, but they, they do the blood tests and the urine tests, and they discovered that he was getting drugs in jail. Duh. <laughs> it's easier to get him in jail than any place. So the poor guy had, had to do more time, but he should never have been in jail. Cameron should never have been in jail. He's, uh, you know. Quick break to talk about one of our favorite services, one of our favorite brands, and that is Skillshare. Right off the backs of an episode we just did on productivity, what better way to start the new year in a productive way than by learning a new skill? And that's why we are happy to talk about Skillshare once again on this show. So for those of you that are new to this show and have not heard, or have either been listening to this show and living under a rock, Skillshare is an online learning community that offers memberships with meaning, with so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives like ourselves. You know, there's something on Skillshare for everybody, whether it's being productive, learning Photoshop, learning about a website, pretty much anything at this point. I recommended two classes to the Skinny Confidential team that they're obsessed with right now. One is productivity hacks that stick using time theming. Okay, so this is a really, really good one. I highly recommend you check that out if you want to be more productive in your daily life. And then the other one, which I cannot stop raving about If you want to learn how to do graphic design, you can do it with Skillshare, okay? It's called Graphic Design Basics, Core Principles for Visual Design. If you want to learn how to design, if you want to learn graphic design, this is for you. you got to check out Skillshare. And one of the best parts about Skillshare is it's extremely affordable, especially when you compare it to pricey online classes, school, college, very expensive, especially when you can't be there in your remote. An annual subscription with Skillshare can cost less than $10 a month, which is a ton of bang for your buck. There is really no excuse when Skillshare is around. This is an insane way to start a side hustle. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash TSC and get a free trial of premium membership. That's Skillshare.com slash TSC. With that, let's get back to the episode. He wrote a book about it too, huh? Yes. Yes. He wrote a book about, yeah, memoir. Yeah. Yeah. I read a little bit of that. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. A lot of questions on this. Are there typical rules that you have to follow when you pull a gun? Oh, sure. I mean, be careful. <laughs> so there's not like there's not a, a system of rules that they give you as a police officer. Well, you know, in the police academy, they they try to run over a lot of scenarios, but in reality, it's 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 not the street. 
when you're on the street, you're on your own. Cop's on his own. He has to make his own decisions. If some guy scares you, he scares you. And you, you, if, if you need to be aggressive, you will be. Use what they call necessary physical force. What do you think's changed since when, the time you were a police officer in the 70s to now? Actually, there's a lot of similarities because of the political environment, believe it or not. If you ask me this, when Bloomberg was mayor, I would have just said it's a lot better job because people have respect for cops. But now, uh, you know, that's, that's waning with, you know, with all the politics. And so it's, it's very much like it was in the 70s. So not a lot has changed and it's going to get worse. And what happens is when you discourage cops from doing their job, they're not going to do it or they're going to hesitate. Why should I run to a gun battle when I can walk? You know, why get involved? Because I'm, I'm, I'm the one's going to be in trouble. I make a wrong decision. I say the wrong thing. You, really, you say the wrong thing and, and they, they come down on you. Tough. Have you seen bad cops? Have you actually seen people that are acting out of integrity in the police? I, the New York City Police Department was 38,000 people. All the guys I knew were just hardworking guys, just trying to get home at night to their wife and kids. Most of them had second jobs. I never saw any, any, any brutality. I never saw any, any, anyone hurt who really didn't deserve to be hurt. You start fighting cops, you're going to get hurt. This is what they seem to be teaching people today. You can resist arrest. No, you can't. You can't resist arrest. You cannot. And if you do, you're going to get hurt. It's just a matter of time. Although now I think the cops will not, someone gets really aggressive and a cop may just walk away and say, leave him alone. You know, why should I be rolling on the floor with this character and, and wind up, I'll, I'll wind up in handcuffs. He's the bad guy. He's got the gun and the knife. He, he, he attacked me, but oh, you're supposed to have more control, I guess. I don't know. Cops are people too, you know? Cops are people too. What was your epiphany on why you decided to leave? It was a Sunday. I'll never forget it was a Sunday. Very quiet Sunday in the South Bronx, which is rare. You spend your time picking up the drunks, and, and if you find dead bodies, you just call, you call a morgue wagon. I was with a guy who wasn't my partner. He was just a fill-in, terrific guy. We were patrolling the southern part of, the, of, of Fort Apache. Some guy comes running up to us and says he was just robbed. And, okay, I'm going, oh, God, it's, it's my last tour. I'm supposed to go away for the weekend. This is going to keep me in court for two days and all that kind of stuff. So we, we're a little hesitant. But uh, the guy said that this, this guy over here robbed us, this guy over here. And there was this big muscular guy with, with, with no shirt on. He was all sweaty. It was, it was like August. And we went over to talk to him, and he, he just kept walking. He wouldn't stop for us. He wouldn't listen to us. So I tried to grab him. The guy threw me, threw me against the car. He threw my partner against the car. So now we're fighting this guy. And he was easily resisting arrest. He wasn't hurting us. We weren't hurting, hurting him either. He's accused of a robbery. I do have the option to take my gun out. I mean, he's a fleeing felon. He committed a robbery, but I didn't see him commit the robbery. And I don't know who this character is who's saying he got robbed. I, you don't know what's going on. This is normal with cops. What the hell knows what's going on? Who's telling the truth? In the end, the, the, the so-called robber, the accused robber, he just ran away. And then I was left with this complainant and he was drunk. And then his friends came and wanted to fight us because they thought we were, we were uh, trying to arrest him or, or, or hurt him. So I, I remember saying to myself, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. I just don't want to do this anymore. It's crazy. You know, what, what, what am I doing out here in the street? What good am I doing? So I put my papers in. But I was lucky because I had had an, an offer from NBC News at the time to, to sign on with the news division. So it was kind of an easier transition for me because I knew what I wanted to do and where I was going to go. Well, I imagine that sentiment is shared by a lot of police officers these days because it's like, you, like you said, it's a vocation. It's very hard to make a lot of money. I mean, any money as a police yeah. officer. Yeah. And if you are not being appreciated by the people that you're potentially protecting and serving, 
and instead you're being scrutinized and actually in a lot of cases being looked down upon it's mm. like who wants to deal with that you're not making any money everybody's got a terrible attitude towards yeah, you yeah. you're in danger every single day you're yeah. dealing with some of the the hardest people in the world to deal with and it's like you know i hear that i'm like why who the hell would want to do that yeah yeah and that's what's scary about now it's like what what do you think is going to happen with people that are really trying to protect and serve the public it's like they're going to say eh, maybe i'm not going to do this maybe i go be a fire fireman maybe yeah. i go into another line maybe i'd be a bodyguard like yeah. what's going to happen with the public then well there's an exodus from the new york city police department now sure yeah, I, I can imagine especially the old guys they put in their papers right away a lot of the newer people uh, just aren't aren't showing up. They pass the test. They they the academy calls them, and they're just not going in. Or if they want, maybe they can get a job in Suffolk County or someplace where they make double the money that the New York City cop makes, and it's a lot safer. Yeah, it's a bad situation, and the city's only going to get worse. So, would you predict that the city's going to get more more dangerous crimes going to rise? Totally. I yeah. think shootings are up two hundred percent now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. They did away with the anti crime guys, which I used to do in the South Bronx. These are the guys who take the guns up the street. I don't know. Somebody decided they were being too aggressive. Now we've got guns on the street. You know, back when, when Giuliani was in and the Bloomberg and Koch, no one carried guns because they knew the cops, at least only a stupid person would, would carry them. They would leave them places. So they always had a, a stash gun, like in a mailbox or something when, when they needed it. But they wouldn't carry it because they knew these cops are going to grab them and toss them and uh, you stop and frisk. Stop and frisk worked. It's, it's what, brought, what brought law and order back, 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 back to the city. And until they bring it back, nothing's going to change. Crime will continue to climb. And when the politicians, the city council, when they become victims, when their children become the victims, their wives are getting mugged and tossed on, it's tossed on, on, on subway tracks, then things will change. Then you're going to see, you're going to see a law and order mayor come, come back in and a governor. And, and then they'll say to the cops, take, go do the job, lock people up, we'll back you up. Well, I think sometimes people, especially in politics, if they haven't actually been in these circumstances, they they hope for this like dreamlike utopia where everybody gets along, yeah, everybody's got warm and fuzzy feelings, and yeah. nobody does harm to each other, and there's no guns, and people don't need guns. It's but, called, called La La Land. Yeah, it doesn't exist. <laughs> and I think like obviously all of us w- would love that, and people try to work towards it, but it it doesn't exist. And when people talk to me about gun rights, you know, in private, I, I always say like the fact of the matter is there are guns in America. There are legal and illegal guns, and if mm. a criminal wants a gun, they're gonna get a gun. Regardless of whatever the laws, they exist in this country. Yeah. So you need to have instead of not just gun reform, but you need to have people that are actually policing these people and making sure that the people that shouldn't have them are getting caught with them and getting them taken away. Yeah, well, you don't have that. Like it's not like these guns are going to disappear and people are going to stop carrying. No, them. no, they're there. They're going to carry more. They're there, but very few legal guns are used in crime. Guys aren't going to use a registered weapon. The bad guys have these Saturday night specials or whatever they call them these these days. They're you know they're easy to get. You can't get rid of the bad guys. They're always going to be there and. The thing is, a cop, you learn to catch it. You may not remember this, but your mom used to go crazy. I was always locking the doors in the house in Carmel Valley. The kids used to run in, run in and out at the door all the time. I was nuts. Every time the kids went out, I'd lock the doors. <laughs> Front doors, back doors, garage door, I'd lock everything up. And, and you guys couldn't get back in. Faye would be ringing the bell and ringing the bell. And, and your mom said, what are you doing? Just what by habit. Doing? <laughs> I said, well, you can't leave the doors open. She goes, yeah, you can Okay, so I learned. If she's like me, if she was like me, then <laughs> she was definitely leaving the doors open. <laughs> Michael has to help me out with that too. Yeah. How yeah. did you meet Lauren's mother? We met at a party in New York City at a place called Bruno's. It was a birthday party for a mutual friend of your Aunt Cheryl, Paul Darunian. And, and that's where we met. Yeah. I'll never forget when she told me about you, she showed me a picture of you. And I said, is he an actor? <laughs> 
I, I was. Think I yeah. ever and you were. I don't yeah. think did I you used to have. Did you used to work out in the garage? Yeah. Okay. That's what, okay. I was young. I met you a few times, but Lauren and I were kind of like, at the time we were not, you know, I was like, must've been like 12 or 13 years old. It was like, let's just say it how it was. I was trying to hang out with older guys. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I was kind of out of the picture. right? <laughs> yeah. but, but I remember going over to Lauren's mom's house early. Like, and I see you a couple of times be like, what the hell is that? That big guy in the garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a scary guy. At the yeah. Time. We put a gym in there. Yeah, yeah. I put a gym in. I remember that, but you know what I remember most about that house. What's that? There was a pool the outside. Penis pool. <laughs> there was a penis pool. You guys, this penis pool had huge balls as the jacuzzis. Like the layout. There was yeah. two jacuzzis with huge balls, and then it was a huge dick. And the best part of it is that there was a secret garden at the end, and the penis pool would squirt into the secret garden. <laughs> <laughs> was it like an accident design, or did somebody design it? No, that's how the guy mom, designed it. The owner did, yeah. was my mom down with that. Did she, when she saw the penis pool, she's yeah, like, "Yeah, she bought the house. Let Lauren. him swim in the dick." We didn't really realize it at first. The way the pool was set up, it just looked like a pool. We kind of looked at the backyard and everything, but you know, the house was beautiful. It had a great kitchen, it had the bedrooms. It, it was sitting on. A, it was a new house. It was sitting on a great lot, gated community. So I, I don't think I noticed it right away. I don't think she did either. So except when we went out there one day and she started pr- pruning the roses right? after after a couple of days there, after we moved in. Oh, no, she was, that's right. She was looking down from upstairs and she saw it. She got, oh, my God, look at this. <laughs> it was a full dick. Yeah, full dick. Yeah. I an erect dick. Yeah, right. an erect dick. I used to tell all my friends, come on, let's go swim in the dick. Yeah. <laughs> so I used to make, play Marco Polo there. They <laughs> so used to play Marco Polo. <laughs> I want to ask you something about firefighters. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of very good friends, one in particular that I know named Danny, who's a firefighter. Dan Noonan, yeah. Yes. They also have a hard time when they leave for different reasons, I feel like. I read a story that you wrote a while ago on his experience of a fire that he was taking care of. Yeah. And he ended up getting all these different things from that fire. Can you speak on that? Because I know you know a lot about that. All right, we're going to get more into that. But first, we're going to talk about ritual. But we're going to talk about ritual when it comes to your kids. So if your kids are picky, you have not met the parents at Ritual. They decided to use their high standard approach that they use with all of their vitamins and create essential for kids. Okay. first of all, I have been taking Ritual for the last two years. I took it before I got pregnant. I took it while I was pregnant and I now take it after. And I know when Zaza turns four that I can give a ritual now. I don't need to second guess it. I don't need to be obsessive about the labels because ritual does it all for you, okay? And they know how difficult it is for kids to get the nutrients you need. I have a friend where her five-year-old only eats macaroni and cheese. Like that's all he eats. He wants craft macaroni and cheese all the time. So she's been using Essential for Kids by Ritual. I sent her some so she could try it out and she's obsessed. So she doesn't feel as anxious knowing that her child's only eating mac and cheese when at least he's having his vitamins. Here's another thing that you should note. Kids have trouble swallowing vitamins. We know this. And they also don't like the chalky taste. So Ritual designed this natural citrus berry flavor that I've actually tried because I wanted to experiment with it and just test it out. And in it, it has a daily multi, a vegan omega-3 DHA, and it's a good source of fiber, okay? So if you want to go on their website and check everything out, they laid it out for you. It's all streamlined. And I just feel like when it comes to kids, you want to know exactly what you're giving your kids and why you're giving it to them. And on their website, they have their full visible supply chain so you can see everything you're dealing with and you know what nutrients are in their multivitamins. You also can see where they're sourced, which is a huge plus. 
When it comes to what's going in our kid's body, they've got being picky down to a science. That's why Ritual is offering All Skinny Confidential, him and her listeners, 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash skinny to start Ritual or add Essential for Kids today. And definitely check out their Essential for Women. That's the one I take. I love it. All right, let's get back to the show. Sure. The story was called The Red Star of Death. And it was about a fire took place in the 70s in the telephone building down in the, I've got 11th Street or something in the, in the East Village. It was the first major fire where PCP was burning. And what's that for anyone? PC, who it's plastic. Know. Okay. It's plastic. All the, 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 fire, the phone companies that started using that kind of a casing. Although there was evidence that it was deadly if it burned, the people just ignored it and they started using it because it was cost effective and, and it did a good job. But the firemen who went to that particular fire, they didn't know what they were getting into. And every fireman who responded to the first alarm has cancer. And most wow. are gone. Most are gone now. That's terrible. Everybody, yeah. And the city, city didn't do the right thing by them. Not they turned their back on them, but they- Just from breathing the fumes, all these guys- Fumes. The fumes were jet black. And how long, how long do they fight this fire? Oh God, it took, uh, I think a, a day and I forget, I, you know, I wrote the story, but I wrote it a long time ago. I forget, but no, it was a five alarmer and, you know, they fought it for, for a long time because they couldn't find the seat of the fire and because of the conditions and you couldn't see anything. And the, the breathing packs in those days, I think they only lasted 20 minutes. It took you 20 minutes to get down to the, uh, the, 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 the bottom and everything was, was soot and, and, and ink black. Yeah, it was horrible. It was, it was horrible. So firemen go, you know, they go through that a lot. I shouldn't talk about the dance position, but he's got cancer from that. And like I said, everybody from the first alarm is, I think they're all gone now. Dan, do Dan a lot of here. firefighters get cancer when they leave? Depends where they work. Yeah, they do. Sure. Because they're breathing the smokes. Yeah. Oh, sure. That is so crazy. Yeah. The amount of things that happen after you leave the job, mm-hmm. after you oh, think yeah. you're done with it. Yeah, after you think you're done with it, yeah. I know firemen, several firemen, four, four and five different cancers from being a fireman. Yeah. Is it mostly lung? It's lung, prostate, skin, throat, everything. So I want to take a little twist. So after you started with NBC, you were doing a lot of modeling and acting. You decided that you wanted to do celebrity bodyguard. I was approached to, yeah, to, to, to help. I think it always started with, might have been Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. I forget. Gina Davis. Stay I with fucking, a, you never have told me that. I fucking love Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Oh, You've yeah. never told me that. Oh, no, I didn't I, know oh, you yeah. worked for Snake Plissken. Yeah, right. <laughs> I thought it's Bliskin. No, Plissken. Plissken, yeah. They're a great couple, by the way. They're nice people. They seem so cool. They are. Like, they just seem like they're not following society's standards. No. I like that. They're doing their things. They they act like regular people, like a mensch. Kurt's a mensch. She's, she's very sweet. It's like Michael and Catherine. They're regular people. They really are. You know. So you started with Goldie and, and Kurt. Right. Gina and, Davis was another one. Okay. Um, and so what, what does that job entail? Like, imagine someone has no idea. What time are you waking up? What are you doing? Are you waiting outside? Are you five feet away? Or what, what's happening? All of the above. <laughs> okay. Walk us through it. You have to plan there. First of all, it depends on, are you just bodyguarding them, let's say, for, for a publicity tour? In that instance, you would do what they call advance work, which is you, you look at their itinerary for the next few days and you investigate it. You have yourself or guys go out and 
make sure there are fire exits and places for the cars to pull up and places for them to wait green rooms and make sure the green rooms are inaccessible by, by outsiders. It's really quite entailed. If they go into a restaurant, you pick the table, you do all that stuff in advance. I've had to stand at uh, tables when celebrities are out having dinner in the middle of the dining room. I've actually had to stand at the table and to keep people away from them, which is embarrassing as hell for me, but that's what you got to do. You look like a moron. So you just stand there while they're eating. You stand there while they're eating. Your back is to them, but you're standing there with your hands folded in front of you, just keeping people away from them. Is it at their request or is it because like they don't, like people are just going to go crazy? What are you going to do? Someone comes up to the table, you have to have someone blocking them. People won't stop. Yeah, I guess when you're talking about like a Kurt Russell or a Catherine Zeta-Jones, people like like people They won't leave them alone. My favorite line from, I heard this from a celebrity, they said Mm. it is when people come up and say, I never do this, but yeah, they yeah, all say yeah. leave, leave me alone. Will you? <laughs> One celebrity told me they all come up and they say, I never do this, but right, right, you should just right. come up and be like, listen, I'm a huge fucking yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what I find interesting about, I mean, I find a million things interesting about you, but like when you, you know, you see the paparazzi pictures and you're in it, like not that you don't look like a capable person, but you don't look like the typical big, strong bodyguard. Like you look like an unassuming normal guy. You're always put together in a blazer, but obviously yep. you're very capable. Is that by design? that celebrities work with someone like because you know you, you see Absolutely. the other time like some uh, the usually the musicians the uh the rappers uh, a lot of the rock stars they want the image they want a big guy a guy who's 240 250 and that draws attention in its own right right? it does well that's the idea that's the idea a lot of them don't just having security is it's a it's a feather in your hat it means you're important so so you have a team of bodyguards some people really need them others don't need them at all but if the production company is going to pay me you know so if they ask me to protect a person and I, I do a, an evaluation on them and I say, oh, this person doesn't need security, it's ridiculous. I'm not going to tell that to Disney or Paramount. I'm just going to say, oh, yeah, no, worry. we got it. It's just an easier job for us. But some people have death threats and they have stalkers and, and I've worked on those uh, accounts too. You have to be a lot more diligent. Per usual, Lauren, your skin is looking so glowy. Thanks, babe. So I've been testing out Tatcha and just loving it. I'm sure you guys have heard of their brand. And if you want the details, it's basically this Japanese beauty brand that believes that skincare is self-care. And I feel like right now we just need more of that. My thing is what I've been doing is I've been making skincare habits. So what I do is I take a few extra minutes a day to do my routine. I'm just making a severe commitment in 2021 to care for myself. I know moms out there can relate because it's so easy to get caught up in caring for others, but it benefits everyone. I feel like everyone agrees with this when we can get a little self-care ritual in. That sounds almost like meditation. Yeah, you could use some of that, babe. So... Why I'm into this brand is that Tatcha looks at skincare as a ritual, which I feel like elevates the whole entire skincare routine. And you guys should know that all Tatcha's formulas are gentle but effective. And what I love is they're made with natural, time-tested ingredients. And you guys can all give them a try for yourself with 15% off Tatcha purchase with code SKINNY. So what do I need to use from Tatcha to look glowy? Okay, so I've experienced a bunch of their products, but my ride or die for sure is the serum stick from Tatcha because it keeps my skin hydrated and pillowy. Like when I press on my skin, it sort of bounces back at me in the best, most hydrated way. So if you're on the go like me, you've got to try the Aburatoragami blotting papers. Whenever I feel too shiny for makeup or a workout, they work like a charm. Another standout is the Dewy Serum. If you're into serum, this is incredible. It's this three-in-one serum that resurfaces, plumps, and locks in moisturizer for a smoother, plumper, dewier skin. It immediately 
immediately boost hydration six times, okay? And the Dewey Serum helps replenish components of healthy skin that are lost over time. So don't be surprised when your friends ask why your skin is looking as soft as a baby, like how Michael is asking me right now. All right, adding to the bag now. They have something for everything, you guys. That's why we want to give you 15% off your Tatcha purchase with code SKINNY. That's 15% off your purchase with code SKINNY. Get ready to glow. That's Tatcha.com code SKINNY. That's T-A-T-C-H-A dot com. What is somebody that checks the boxes of needing security? Like who are those types of people and why, and why do you say, okay, that person actually needs security? Well, someone who has a stalker is a prime example. And some stalkers are, they write a couple of letters and they, they, they don't show up again. They'll scare the celebrity. But other people are, they're going to camp, camp outside your door. They're going to send death threats. And celebrities get frightened as they should because you don't know who's for real or who's just a nut. You know? What can you do with those people that are making those threats? Well, I mean, I've worked on that. I, I put people in jail. I put stalkers in jail. As a matter of fact, I worked out here with the LAPD on a stalker who was stalking one of my clients, and we grabbed them and put them in jail. It was a trial and everything. But, you know, I mean, if they, if they, if they try to hurt the client, if they try to get close to the client, you stop it. You stop it any any way you have to. What if they're not hurting the client? What if they're just being obnoxious? So let's take like a Kylie Jenner, for instance. Mm -hmm. Obviously, she is someone that needs severe security. Yeah. So what if someone is like just in her bubble, in her space, and you're helping out? How do you get them out of the bubble, out of the ether, while also maintaining the finesse of the client? Because you don't want to obviously like lose your mind and pull your gun. Oh, so yeah, what do you, you what, know, what's uh, the finesse there? It's using necessary physical force. So it depends. A lot of people are just are just going to walk away if I if I grab them on 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 the thumb right here and start pressing, <laughs> they'll go down to their knees. Why do you do that? It's to, a pressure point. Yeah. Ooh. So next time you don't teach me. Wait. What don't, do don't I do? I just grab the pressure point on <laughs> his hand. Grab the pressure point. Yeah. You you put enough pressure in there, you get somebody's attention. They'll go right. right I'm going to do that literally they'll go, every they, day now. They'll go right down on one knee, and they really will. And then the, you get the celebrity to move on, and some people can just hurt away and say, "Please later." Come back later and she'll sign your autograph for you. Especially on the street shooting. When you're on location, you got nuts showing up. Even the ones that are weird are pretty reasonable. Let know? me let me ask you this, because this will be interesting. Catherine and Michael Douglas, when you're protecting them, do you see fans coming up to Catherine more than Michael because it's easier to approach a woman? It, or it, because a man is like more closed off and people are maybe have a different vibe with him? It depends. What, it depends who's who's got a film going. If Michael's got films going, people are going to go to Michael. If he's got Ant Man going, if Kaminsky Method, whatever he's doing, the fans just just go to him. If Catherine has a movie in in, in the hopper, and you know we're doing the press and they're together, people gravitate toward her. As far as when they're just alone in a restaurant and stuff, they keep a low profile. People don't normally bother them. But when you're when you're promoting a movie, you've got to be on the public eye. You've got to be on, you know, Good Morning America and Conan O'Brien or, or you know, whoever the talk shows are. The stalkers and the paparazzi and the fans, they seem to always know where the, you know, where the, where they're gonna be. So they show up. But the vast majority of people are civil. Even even when they're a little bit aggressive, you can you can usher them off, which is being nice. Say, please, you know, come come back later. What's the line with paparazzi? Like there's obviously got to be like a kind of give take relationship there if you're a, someone like a Catherine Jones or a Michael yeah. Douglas for for that long. Like yeah. You obviously develop some kind of a rapport. Yeah. In New York, they're 
they're more civilized than other places. And part of that with me is because I, I treat them like human beings and I, I talk to them and I ask them, please, if you can photograph her down at the hotel, she's going to come out of the limo in full makeup. You're going to get the best shots of your life. And a lot of them will just say, oh, okay, thanks. And a lot, a lot of times, like Catherine's PR person would, would, would say that to me. Can you get these characters down in front of the Regency Hotel and not, and not, 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 not here at her apartment? Because she wants to make the entrance, and as they should, it's a film. We've got a film premiere. We've got lights flying around. And, and again, most of them listen. We've had a few overly aggressive guys, one, one, one guy in particular I'm thinking about. But you just block them. When if they're not cooperative, you make sure they don't get the shot. Because the celebrities like Michael, they're very easy. They're they're very easy. Paparazzi in your shots, they'll 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 stop and smile. You know, they're they're nice. Well, they're, they're nice people, basically. So you know, yeah, we don't get too many that are too aggressive. And it's like from being a cop, you learn it when you can see somebody in the crowd that doesn't look right. I've had paparazzi's warn me about psychos in their ranks. They'll say, you know, watch this guy in the back. They have the blonde hair. Something wrong with them. So the paparazzi's are helping me out. And a lot of this is because I'm, you know, I treat them as human beings. I don't want to be their friend because they're bothering my client. But Does it ever get sticky with a client where you're around them so much and you're in their space and you're privy to all these private conversations that you have to keep your mouth shut about? Does it ever get where it like crosses a line where it's like work and personal? I, I've always just shut down to me like Michael and Captain Douglas, Michael Douglas, Captain Zeta Jones. I know them as parents. I know them as a mom and dad and their kids. I don't really know them. I mean, they're movie stars, but that happens to be their job. No, I just, I know them as parents. And when they're having family discussions, if I can, I walk away. Well, you know, I don't want to hear. I got my own family, my own problems. So, but they're a family. And uh, I mean, if you're in the security world, you learn to shut down and not be listening. I don't want to hear anything. You, know? you wrote a book business. on this too, if people want to read it. Um, so Confessions of a Celebrity Bodyguard. Yeah. Yeah. It's my juicy. latest novel. Yeah. It's, it's a juicy book too. Yeah. And it's available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. I, I don't know. I, Amazon, I guess, has it. When the stores, these things, they're like produce. Books get into stores. They're there for about six weeks and then they're gone. So if you want to get them, you got to order them or go on. Thank God. Thank God for Amazon. Everyone yeah. orders on Amazon. Anyway. Yes, exactly. Or, or yeah. support a small bookstore, of course, if yes. you can. Yeah, but if you can. with yeah. what's going on in the world, Amazon yeah. is very quick and easy Kindle's the way to go, yeah. I'm a, I'm a Kindle guy. So <laughs> you sent me your manuscript of your latest book. That's a memoir. That's a true story, yeah. yeah. And that is coming out, and that is about your relationship. Or there's the theme, one theme in it, Yeah, is your relationship with Donald Trump. Right. Marla Maples. Can you tell the audience some context so they can understand? First of all, it's not sold yet. A publisher hasn't picked it up. I have a good agent, a guy named David Vigliano in New York. You you, you met David. Yeah. yeah, He's he's, he's a good agent. And he has the book now and he's he's, he's pushing it around. I'd love, we're we're hoping for an auction, but you know, you never know. It's about the 80s, Studio 54, my relationship with Donald. We were socializing then. We were friends. We dated three of the same girls. That kind of formed a bond between us. And we were both members of Cafe Society. I was out every night. Donald's out every night. We'd run into each other everywhere. He doesn't and drink any alcohol, huh? He doesn't drink anything, and he doesn't smoke pot or anything like that. His older brother, Fred, had a, had sure. a booze problem. So Donald always said, he said, if I start this, I'm an addictive. He said, I'm, a, I'm an addictive personality. So, yeah, so he never, he never did. I don't think he should anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah he's good he's aggressive the way yeah. Yeah. Imagine he's if he's more aggressive my god so this this the story's about my 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 life with with people like donald and, and marla maples was my my girlfriend she she lived with me we were engaged for for a short time and then donald started dating her after me 
when she mentioned to Donald that, oh, I, I was dating this cop, Tom Fitzsimmons, and Donald picked up the phone right away and called me up. And then we started running around a lot, a group of us. at Atlantic City almost every weekend. Everything was on Donald. He was a very generous guy. So he'd take a crew of us out in his helicopters. He had several. And he'd fly us all out there for the fights to see the Rolling Stones, to see any, any major sporting event or, or celebrity that was performing at casinos. He'd fly us all out. It was a group of us. They, they called us Trumpets. <laughs> what I find so crazy about Donald Trump pre-presidency and post is when you, when you hear about his life pre, it's like women, good family, billionaire, helicopters, all this stuff. He, if you go back and watch The Apprentice, he was actually like beloved by a lot of the American public. People really yeah, liked him. Yeah, like, yeah. And I always think to myself, like, why, when you have all of that, do you continue? Like, what do you think it is in him that makes him go and take on all the heat that he did as president and, and do everything? Because now, obviously, it's a much different story for him. Oh, but like, yeah, when yeah. you look at someone's life like that, like, you don't, on the surface, it seems like he kind of had it all before. He did have it all before. But he's just, he's an aggressive guy. He's just one of those who's, he's going to do the best he can. Again, I had a lot of fun with him. We, I mean, we were socializing. I never did business with Donald. He was a lot of laughs. We, we were out every night. Again, in Studio 54, Magique, Regines, Le Cirque, Le Coke, 21, Lutece. We were everywhere. It was a blast. It was yeah, a real I mean, blast. a lot of people have changed their attitude. I mean, even if you think about Stern, like you used to go on Stern all the time and they had a blast. And like, yeah, I think that yeah, attitude's changed. Yeah, and it's yeah. crazy what happens to people. But yeah, I think it's just, it's interesting to look at now. Sure, half the country's still absolutely crazy about him. The other half, obviously not yeah, so much. Yeah. But like, before, you know, it seemed like he was on top of the world without having to take on the headache of all the yeah, stuff he said to take yeah, on. Yeah, no, he was. I think he did it for the, for the right reasons. I used to talk politics with him back in the 80s. Matter of fact, there's an article someplace on the internet says that I'm the guy, that I am the first person to talk to Donald about running for president. I don't remember that, but some author said I did, and I doubt I did, but, you know, it makes a good story. He thought about going <clears throat> running a few times, right? A few times, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think he did it for, for the right reasons, and I think he tried his best to be the best president he could. It didn't work out. It didn't work out. But I know, I, I think his motives were pure. He just wants to be the best at everything, whatever it takes, which I guess whatever it takes isn't good, but he just wants to be the best at everything. He does. But he's out now. Politics so. is a dirty business. Oh, so, man. He, I can't imagine going into, like, for any reason, going into politics. He was uniquely qualified because the press has been after him since the 70s and 80s. The IRS had probably done... 100 investigations on this guy. And he's clean. He's got a vast empire. Casinos are, are, are tough, especially because you know, there were a different kind of mobs involved in the casinos back then, the, the, the Japanese and the Russians. But he was a clean guy. I mean, he, I, I, he wouldn't do anything illegal. I, I've been around for some things. That guy, I heard people say, we can do this for you. We can do that. Donald said, nope. Nope, I don't do any of that let stuff. Me, let me ask you about his personality. His personality is obviously very aggressive. Mm -hmm. Like, whatever side you're on, it's yeah. an aggressive personality. Yeah. Was he aggressive like that when you were friends with him? Yeah, yeah. But we weren't discussing world world politics or geopolitics. We were having fun. We were deciding, you know, uh, what, what stake we're going to get tonight or, you know, what show we're going to see, who's, who's Atlantic City. So it was all very social. So what are some qualities that you remember about him? Like if you, someone said, describe him pre-presidency, what are the qualities? Well, he's very generous. With all these parties and the casinos and everything, he picked up all those checks and man, I'll tell you, they were thousands and thousands of dollars. And I'm not talking once, I'm talking many, many times. So he's very good to his, to, to his friend and to his trumpets, the gang. He, he worked all the time. He was one of these guys that wasn't, wasn't easy being one-on-one -on -one with him and just hanging because he always had the phones going. There was always somebody waiting for him. There's always a meeting going on. 
the fact that he was he was always a workaholic, I remember that about him. I don't know if that's a positive thing, but of course he liked the ladies, which is nothing wrong with that. <laughs> we had that in common. And uh, but even when we socialized, like uh, I'd go, uh, there's another guy I knew, a royalty guy, Malcolm Forbes Senior, and he had a, a yacht called the Highlander over on used to keep it on the East River. And Donald and I would go to those parties, and uh, or actually I'd run into Donald there. I'm not so sure I went with him, but I'd see him there. And he was always doing business. I was there to meet girls and get drunk and yeah, have a have a great old time. But he he was there to do business. He was focused, and he'd be Malcolm would introduce him around, and and he was there to network. And I was that's uh, not what I was doing. Uh, Were you surprised with the presidency thing? What what part now? Were you surprised with the presidency? Uh, that like, he won? Or? Yeah. No, were you surprised when he wanted to run, when you heard this? No, because he was he almost threw his hat in the ring back in 2009 or 10 or 8. Or, I forget. He he almost, no, I, I didn't really. I don't, I don't think that he thought he'd win. I think he wants to be a kingmaker. I think he was totally surprised when he actually won. I, I, I didn't think he ever thought he would. A lot of people have that stance where it's like he, you know, he ran and he thought he'd get a lot of publicity and yeah, got there, but exactly. didn't think he would actually get the nomination. Then let right. alone go and, on to and, win. And he'd, th- he'd throw his weight behind a candidate, and the candidate would get win, and Donald would be the kingmaker. And lo and behold, he wins. So the uh oh, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. You write in the memoir that he was obsessed with Marla Maples sexually. Oh, yeah. Like just her body and the whole thing. She was a very sexy girl. <laughs> so w- w- do you think that he actually cheated on Ivanka with her? Or was this a separate relationship that he had? After? Ivana. It's public record that uh, he was seeing Marlo while he was married. I read her book before this episode. Ava- Ivana's book. Ivana. Yeah, yes. that's the wife. Yeah. And she said, you can tell she's under NDA. She can't say much. He must have made her sign something. Oh, totally. But yeah, she's fucking lock-lipped. Yeah. But in the book, she says that they were in Aspen. And they were in line at the 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 place at the top. Ajax? Yes. Oh, no, no, I know no, about the, the top. The yeah. top. And they were in line, and she said she saw a woman, Marla Maples, and something about the woman made her angry. Ivana was tipped off. Okay, she didn't and, write about that. No, she was tipped off. She has that accent, so she called Marla Mula. So I believe that, and I write about this in the memoir, by the way. I I, I write at this scene in detail. I think I think Marla. I think she, I think she approached Ivana first. I'm not sure, but uh, then Ivana went at her, and then stay away from my husband thing, you know. And Marla saying, "Well, do you love him? Do, do you love him?" That was really the beginning of the the tabloid wars. And boy, that's just again, it's 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 in the memoir. It's unbelievable what happened. No one in a million years thought that simple divorce from some 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 rich guy in New York was was going to make the front page of the newspapers. My God, the news cycle must have been real slow because they were the front page of the news cycles for. Four months, five months, every paper, even the Times, everybody was in on it. Everybody was, and then she went into hiding, and and they were, of course, I was hiding her for Donald part part of the time, and uh, they were banging on my door. They were following me around. They're trying to follow me around. It's not easy to follow a cop around, so they were trying. Uh, and of course, I knew where she was the whole time. Yeah, that was it. Was just wild, but it started with that confrontation on on the slopes of Aspen. Absolutely. I'll tell yeah, you yeah. one thing about Donald Trump, whether you love him or hate him, he has to probably go down as one of the greatest marketers of all time. Yeah. It, when you start to think about people throughout, like in terms of getting attention, it's not just been since he's been president. Like he's been able to get attention his entire career, somewhere or another, whether it's divorce or his buildings yeah. or his hotels yeah. or his casinos or running for president. Like the guy knows how to get attention. Like yeah. there, there should be courses and studies on how he's been able well, to do that. He's the most known person in the, yeah. in the, in the known world. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to say he invented branding, but boy, he took it to an, a, a new level. The Trump name. 
He's he, very Kanye. Like the way that they sporadically tweet, like how Kanye will just tweet yeah, something. And yeah. it, it, like they, T. Michael's right. They know how to get attention. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, he just knows how to get attention. Yeah. If you were to have a conversation with Donald Trump right here on air, what would you say? Hey, Donald, what's up? <laughs> so normal conversation. Oh, sure. I would. First thing I'd say is I feel so sorry about his brother who passed away just recently. Robert, a really nice guy, really sweet guy, Robert. He used to go to the tennis matches with Robert at the U.S. Open and watch. He was different than Donald. He was a little bit more of a regular guy. He liked to drink a couple of beers and, and, and stuff like that. So that's the first thing I'd say. Other than that, I'd say, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do now? You know? What do you think he's going to do now? I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking he might, he might try to make a comeback. He doesn't like to lose. I can't see him retiring. He's just, he's all energy. Not wired to retire, yeah. Yeah, he's just, he's, he's got too much going on in his head. I can't see him sitting down and just playing golf for, for the rest of his life. He'll get into something else. And he does have a power platform now, so being an ex-president. I know the circuit, Secret Service is going to uh, cramp his lifestyle, for sure. Who wants to, because he's got Secret Service protection now forever. And, uh, you know. Do you think he'll go back to New York? I don't. I think Miralago. You do? Miralago, yeah, yeah. That's what I think, too. Yeah, New York is kind of, it's. It's too confining now, especially the whole city shut down. So one of the, my favorite restaurants in his, we used to go together, was 21. It's just a few blocks from his house. Still open? It's closed. And uh, I think it'll come back at some point. But, but is it closed because of COVID or is it closed? COVID. Just COVID. Like it's why we're moving to Texas, right? Like LA shut down, New York shut down. Like you start to look and see high taxes, high costs, like biggest living ex- or largest living expenses in the country, but everything's yeah. shut like, and you're crammed together. Like why, like why stay? Yeah, yeah. I I feel the same way. Can you share with our audience the title of your memoir? Are you waiting? Oh, it's called Not My Circus, Not My Monkey. (laughs) Genius. (laughs) Love it. If our audience had to start with one book by you that's out on Amazon, I personally would say start with Confessions of a Catholic Cop. I think you wrote it when we were living together. Yeah, I was writing that. Okay. That's exactly what I was writing. Yeah. Okay. You would wake up. I'll never forget this. It's very inspiring, actually. You would wake up every single morning. I'm not sure exactly the time, maybe 5.36. 5, 5, 5.30. And he would start writing. And when I would come down for school, every single day, he was in the room. I remember where you're facing, writing on your computer. Very disciplined. To be a writer, it's not a fucking joke. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's hard work. Yeah. But I I like the process. But the the second book, Confessions of a Suicidal Policewoman, that's a great ride. Same characters. But the last one, the new one, is Confessions of a Celebrity Bodyguard. And that's got a lot of this bodyguard stuff in it. I will share each of these books with a swipe up to on the Skinny Confidential oh, podcast yeah. Instagram. Great. And then maybe you can come on the blog and we can do a little interview there too. Oh, sure. I'd love to. Knowing Lauren now and obviously being with her mom for so long, like do you when you know when you see Lauren as an adult, do you see anything that they had in common? Like is is there things you recognize in Lauren that maybe you recognize in Wendy or 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 no? They're both very bright. Your mom is extremely bright. That's nice. Yes. And uh, your mom is also an alpha, as you are. <laughs> <laughs> big or reader. Big reader. Big reader. Big, big reader. And she took shit from no one. Your mom was-, was, was uh, Oh, so Apple didn't uh, fall too far from yeah, the tree. Right, yeah, yeah. But see, I, I grew up with that. My, my mom was an alpha and took shit from no one. And I have three sisters that are alphas. So it's a perfect match. <laughs> yeah, you liked it. I feel like you guys were- very uh, matched. Simpatico. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, simpatico. Yeah. Yeah, we got along. We just got along. I couldn't yeah. be with someone that, as a woman that's not an alpha. That I, would, I know I would run too far, but I need somebody to check me. <laughs> 
Yeah, when he starts complaining that he's hungry, I'm like, fucking handle it. That's right. <laughs> Go make something. Go figure your, it is out. Your, is your arm broken? Oh, <laughs> I know. is your arm broken? Is your mouth broken? <laughs> Tom, you can come back anytime. Thank you, Lauren. You, this interview to me is so interesting because there's so many different things you've done in your life that you, you can go so many different directions. I cannot wait to read your memoir in print in a book. Right now I'm reading it on my book app, the the document that yep, you sent yep, me, but yep. I can't wait to read it in book. I know it's going to be in book. Great. And for everyone who wants to find you or find your book, pimp yourself out. Okay. My agent is David Bigliano. Okay. And he's got the book. He's, he's a good agent too. So that's, that's the man they should call. Uh, and what about you? Like if they want to follow you on Instagram and stuff. I have an Instagram account. I'm on, uh, I'm on Facebook. Okay. I'm not that big on social media. I'm too busy writing to, to tell you the truth. That's good. And all your books are on Amazon. Just search Everything's Thomas on Amazon. Fitzsimmons. Yep. Thomas we'll Fitzsimmons. Yeah. We'll leave it in the show notes. Tom. Beautiful. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, babe. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Okay, Michael. Thanks. Giving away cute, cheeky stickers that you can decorate your hydro flask with, as always. All you have to do is tell us your favorite part of this episode on my latest Instagram, at The Skinny Confidential, and some people from my team will drop in your inbox and send you some cute goodies. And if this show's brought you any kind of value, make sure you've rated and reviewed on iTunes, and we will see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Skillshare, one of our favorite partners, one of our favorite brands, one of the most productive businesses we can talk about on this show. Want to learn a new skill around pretty much anything taught to you by people like you and I? Check out Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning, with so much to explore, real projects to create, and support fellow creatives. Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth, and it's incredibly affordable with annual subscriptions that are less than $10 a month. So check it out. Explore your creativity at Skillshare dot com slash tsc and get a free trial of premium membership that's skillshare.com slash tsc